Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. My name is Travis, the host. Oscar Mike means we're on mission. And today I have a, a, a new guest. He's never been on the show before, but he's been watching me for a while. Robert Wisaki. Did I say that right? Yeah. All right. Yep. Sometimes I really foobar these. I really do. But Robert Wisaki, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how we met, it's always cool how I meet is a Marine I served with actually went to Hawk school with, he was in the reserves, but went to, that's how far back this goes. This is, this is what makes the Marine Corps cool, Robert, is a guy I went to school with for, you know, four months is still a lifelong friend many years later. Let's just leave it at that. And he's like, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, um, He's telling me about, you know, living where you live and the fact that, um, you know, you're involved with equine therapy. He's like, you got to talk to him. And uh, we chat on the phone. I'm like, wow, there's, there's, a, there's a lot here. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I, I appreciate it, actually. I, um, I owe Brian uh, uh, a big thank you for introducing us and introducing me to Oscar Mike Radio. So. It's um, it, it, it's really great uh, hanging around out here. Um, we're, we're out in Wyoming, just a little bit uh, west of Laramie. And it's nice. it's funny where you run into me, where, wherever you run into people. It's just funny that way. Especially Marines, you know, it's just yeah. you look hard enough. There they are. So yep. you served in the Marine Corps, if I understand it correctly. What, yep. did, you, what did you do in the Marine Corps? Uh, well, I went in in uh, 1980 and started off in uh, admin and intel analysis. And uh, on my first re-enlistment, I lat moved into counterintelligence, 0211. And uh, I spent, uh, gosh, I guess the next 10 years or so on active duty as an 0211. I uh, left active duty in 1995 as a, as a gunnery sergeant, as an 0211, and went into reserves for a couple of years, picked up master sergeant there, and then uh, uh, left the reserves. So I was, you know, the reason I left to begin with is I was deployed for about six out of 15 years. Um, kids were getting at, uh, at an interesting age and needed to be home. And uh, so, it, you know, going in the reserves, I thought would be the right thing to do. But uh, in the reserves as an 0211, you, you deploy as much or more than your active duty counterparts. So they just they, they can pick you up and scoop you up because we're notoriously shorthanded in the 0211 field small field and, and always shorthanded so so you were getting out as brian and i were going in that's that's kind of a <laughs> it's funny how how that works out um and yeah, rub, it in, rub it in go ahead no, well, well in. no I'm, I'm considered a dinosaur now too it's kind of funny um but different marine corps you know uh i've talked to a couple of you you know who served in the 80s and you know it wasn't until uh you know beirut and um you know, Noriega that, you know, the Marine Corps really got, was kind of on a lull there for a while. And then uh, we're back yeah. in the public eye. So, yeah, I, we went into Hawk, as, as you may have known, Brian must have told you. And then, um, mm -hmm. you know, we got out. What was, what was the transition like? Because you went from active duty to reserves, we're still at a high tempo. What was getting out actually like and putting that behind you? Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I think I was, um, kind of looking for a soft landing 
or a longer glide path. That's why I went into the reserves rather than just a cold break. Um, and I, I went back to school. I did, uh, I did two master's programs back to back over uh, two and a half, three years. And that whole time I stayed in the reserves and, um, you know, I could go do two weeks here, two weeks there, 60 days on orders or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, just enough to remind me of why I wanted to get out in the first place. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, be able to go back home and, and be glad that I left again. Um, but, uh, but, you know, always keeping my hand in the game. Um, and then uh, actually wound up going to work for the government, uh, worked for Defense Intelligence Agency and, and a couple other government organizations. And, um, you know, my, my transition, I put it off, I think, too long um, because I, I really didn't transition for probably 10 or 12 years. Um, you know, because when you, when you go to work for someplace like defense intelligence agency, you, you may as well have, have stayed on active duty, right. You know, cause it's, there's a dress code and everybody has to, you know, and you follow the orders of the GS 15s and those kinds of things. So, um, but yeah, it wasn't until, uh, wasn't until, you know, well past the 10, 12 year mark where I started to transition and deal more with commercial entities, uh, not just government contractors, uh, but you know, working with the uh, working with the commercial sector and real people in the real world. Uh, now, now I work for Amazon Web Services, and that's a uh, um, huge, huge difference uh, in in uh, government service or military service. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, how 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 does Amazon differ from the government? It'd be very interesting to go down that path for a couple minutes. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, we used to kind of laugh at it, uh, uh, especially at DIA. You keep getting told to think outside the box, think outside the box. Um, but the running gag is the thing that's unspoken is don't act outside the box. You can think outside the box all you want to, and we encourage you to, but don't act outside the box. Uh, a, a company like Amazon is exactly the opposite. Uh, it's, uh, you know, if you're not innovating, if you're not experimenting, if you're not trying, and even if you're not failing, um, you're, you're not trying hard enough. You're not pushing the envelope far enough. Wow. And that's a big, big difference from yeah. a zero defense mentality that we, you know, we all grew up with, right? Um, you know, uh, don't fail, don't, don't drop the ball, um, you know, always succeed, always do better, keep driving, keep driving. Um, yeah, uh, Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos just left as the CEO. Um, and, you know, the whole the whole history of Amazon is built on this idea of um, we encourage you to fail uh, and, and keep driving forward. So that's that's a big change. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. That, that, that is because you, you're right. <laughs> you go from, you know, driving those, you know, inspection hits down to zero. And if it's. Yeah, so just just very very different. So when I got to know you or, or get introduced to you, um, you're out in Wyoming. And first of all, for those of people who don't understand Wyoming, what's it like? I, I see pictures and I'm like, <laughs> they can't they can't be real. It can't be real, but it is right. I mean, what's Wyoming yeah. like? Yeah, it 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 is surreal in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it's the only state in the lower 48 where no two towns touch each other. Um, there's uh, still, I, I just saw the census results, still less than 600,000 people in the state. 
Um, and it's a, you know, just a huge, huge state. Um, we uh, walk out in the morning and I've got antelope and wild horses uh, in the front yard and in the backyard. Uh, last night driving home, I almost hit a badger. Um, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little bit like being on safari uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, just driving down the road. Uh, you, you see the, the antelope mixed with the wild horses all down, uh, you know, in, in near a lake area or, or the deer uh, you know, great. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> but but yeah. it seems, you know, Brian is telling me, and, you know, I've checked it out because it just seems like you can get off the main highway and, and you're really either under open sky or you're really in the woods yeah. surrounded by that. It, it, it must be a different feeling than being in a metropolitan area because by comparison, the, the Boston area where I'm from has about 600,000 people in it, 500,000 maybe, but still, you know, that's in a yeah. very small condensed area versus an entire state. Um, you can find yourself, I have to think. Yeah, you can. And that's uh, one of the reasons we moved out here. Um, yeah. Years and years ago, my wife was a, was a Marine as well. We, we didn't know each other on active duty yet. And probably just as well because um, she was pretty pretty straight laced and a, and a regular intel officer. She probably would have had me uh, uh, locked up uh, and, and put away without a key uh, for some of the stuff we pulled in the counterintelligence field. Um, but uh, she she went to school for air intel uh, out here at Buckley Air Force Base uh, down near Denver, and that was you know around the same time I went in, so seventy nine eighty around that time frame for for several months and as told herself her whole life when she retires, she wants to come back to Denver. And about 10 years ago, we took a vacation and went back to Denver. And that was as bad as Northern Virginia. The sprawl, the traffic, you know, it was just, it was horrible. Um, so we, uh, we took, a, took a ride in a rental car and went all around Wyoming for about a week and a half and uh, just fell in love with the, with the place up here. It's, uh, it, it's America 60 years ago. Does it get as brutally cold as like Maine and Massachusetts get, or is it is it a different kind of cold? You get a lot of snow. That's one thing Brian yeah, we, wasn't really like clear on. Yeah, we do get a lot of we do get a lot of snow, but it doesn't last long. It's yeah. uh, because we're up at about 77, 7,800 feet. Um, it's really, really dry up here, um, and uh, the snow doesn't last long. So it'll, it'll drop, you know, you'll get a foot, foot and a half, but two days later, three days later, everything's gone. Um, there's uh, probably 300 plus days of 80% sunshine. I was looking at solar power out here. So, you know, that's one of the things that we looked at. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a different kind of cold. It's not damp. The, the wet cold on the East Coast that just cuts right through you, you know, right, goes right. don't have that here. You, you can right. deal with the cold out here. And the big challenge is the wind. There's, there's always wind. Out he here. was saying that he's like, you know, yeah. I, I didn't realize what I was getting into. And he's like, <laughs> not just wind for a couple of minutes. He's like, Travis wind for days. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I'm thinking back to Yuma when I was stationed in Yuma and I'm like, even we'd have wind for like a day come through and mess up everything, but not for days. He's like, it, it, it's something else. Yeah, that that's what takes some getting used to. 
is uh, you know just just dealing with the sound and the and the feel of the wind going by all the time. Nice. So you settled in in Wyoming. You love it, and you met him, and you know. Yeah. Brian again is is a Marine. I served. Well, I didn't serve with him. We went to Hawk School together, and it's just uh, we've never lost touch. It's really kind of cool. And he tells yeah. me um, you're talking because I'm involved in equestrian therapy at a, at a, at a you know a board level. Yeah. And he tells me that you do things in equestrian therapy, and that's where kind of the connection started. You do you want to talk about that with me? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, the way this, uh, the way it all came together, the place we live is a place called Wild Horse Ranch. Uh, it's a, you know, it used to be a big uh, sheep and, and cattle ranch and station. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been broken up into smaller ranches and uh, a whole bunch of people live out here. But there's still about 300 wild horses that live here and roam the property. You have to fence them out if you don't want them on your property. Um, so I'm on the board of our wild horse preservation society and, and, um, we were doing a roundup, uh, for medical treatment, veterinary treatment. And that's where I met Brian. Um, uh, we started, we started talking, I think I was wearing a Marine Corps t-shirt and, um, uh, uh, you know, of course he, he came over and, uh, you know, he was dragging three other Marines with him. So, you know, we're, um, we're, we're pretty safe out here. I think um, so <laughs> if the zombie apocalypse rolls through, I think we're going to be okay. We nice. have several, fire, several fire teams ready to go. Right. Um, yeah. um, but we started talking about it and um, I was just talking about some of the work that I've done with horses in the past, uh, trying to make some of the other people who'd volunteered to work with this roundup, a little bit aware, aware of the horses and their sensitivities. As I, um, uh, when I left active duty, I had, uh, um, gosh, I, I self-medicated for probably 15 years. Um, and then finally, finally broke down and went to, um, went to talk to some folks. I, I talked to a psychologist, I talked to a psychiatrist and, you know, I've, I've had medical treatment and, uh, uh, somebody recommended that I, uh, link up with a friend of theirs who was running an equine therapy program and was very interested in working with veterans. Um, so I went out there and, and uh, spent a couple of one hour sessions with a very large uh, Palomino, beautiful, beautiful horse named Sonny. Um, and Sonny became my therapist. Uh, and, and just within the first couple of, of times inside the round pen with him, you know, I, I, I felt a lot of the load that I was carrying. I tell people all the time, it's like I took off my pack, I put it on the back of the horse, and he walked away with it. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was really incredible. Um, And my my son actually lived a little bit south of there. This was in southwest Virginia. Uh, My son lived down in Roanoke. And uh, he went into the Marine Corps as well. Um, He was uh, was wounded in Ramadi, uh, Fallujah, and that whole thing in 2007. Um, so he and I both came away with TBI and PTS. Uh, he took a bullet wound and still has shrapnel from the mortar round that struck the vehicle he was in. Um, so we're, you know, we're both at different levels with it, but that's the one thing we had in common. So I asked him to come up and, uh, I wanted to watch him work with the horses because I, I, I needed proof that this was really working, that it wasn't just me sort of being wishful, right? You know, looking at it and saying, gosh, you know, maybe this will help me. And, and 
and just thinking that it was helping me. Um, so I watched, uh, he came up and I watched him go through it. And, and within 45 minutes, and I've got some photos of him, but I mean, he showed up and you could see he, he was dark in his face, right? Everything was tense. Brow was knitted together, always stressed. You know, he hadn't smiled and gosh, I hadn't seen him smile in probably two, three years. Um, uh, but after 45 minutes or an hour with Sonny, he, he worked with the same horse I did. Um, you know, it, it was like 10 years came off his face. Uh, he, he was smiling. He, uh, he was relaxed. His wife told me it's the first time she'd seen him smile, uh, you know, since he came back. And, uh, and that was just after 45 minutes or an hour. So um, I, you know, just seeing what that did and feeling what it did within me and then seeing what it did for him, I knew that we were, I knew that this was real, right? This isn't just another, um, it, it, it's not snake oil. The equine therapy really works. Equine therapy is a, um, is a really impactful way to, uh, uh, to help you get out from under the load you're carrying. So um, that, that was what sold me on it. Um, I didn't necessarily want to grow up to be a therapist. Uh, so I've, uh, I've become an equine assisted coach. Oh, you did do that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So I, I work with uh, not exclusively with veterans, but I prefer to work with veterans uh, because I, I think it's a lot easier for veterans to work with somebody who understands where they've been and what they're going through. Um, And, you know, you've done the, it's PATH, right? Did you do the PATH certification? Yeah, that's that's okay. one of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of them, okay. So you, you've done a certification yep. like PATH or PATH certified, mm -hmm. but more than that, you, you, you've you lived this and you've gone yeah. through this and you put a veteran with that, um, you know, rain in his hand, so to speak, and you watch yeah. the change happen. What, what's, what's going on in your mind, Robert? Well, I, you know, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. I, I was doing some uh, volunteer work uh, before I left Northern Virginia. Uh, there was an outpatient uh, treatment program for substance abuse at one of the military hospitals, um, military medical centers up in Northern Virginia. And uh, I was doing a demonstration project for them. I took a young, uh, uh, young E6 who, um, you know, probably 16, 17 years in the service, and was talking with Tim. And uh, so what I wanted to do was kind of get him uh, to relax a little bit, figure out what's going on in his own body, sort of notice what's happening with him. And then I wanted to take him into a small round pen with, with one of the horses that we had access to. Her name was Rain. Um, so as I'm talking with him, you know, this, this exercise, this experience we were going through, I said, do me a favor. I want you to, to think about and bring an issue into the round pen with us, something we can work on when we get in there. And just sort of casually talking as, as I opened the gate and we stepped into the round pen, rain was you know directly across the round pen from us and it was a 60 foot round pen. So she's 60 feet away, she's got her head um, uh, outside of the, of the panels trying to reach some of the grass that's outside the round pen. And he and I are walking sort of slowly and, and just chatting to get to the middle of the round pen. 
Uh, and he turns when we get there, he turns and he starts talking to me and his back is to the horse. I can see what Rain's doing, but he can't. So, you know, I ask him, what, what's the issue you wanted to bring into the round pen? What do you want to bring to Rain? What is it you're, you're trying to work on? And he started talking about the challenges that he's facing. You know, he, uh, several tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, alcohol problem, uh, lost his marriage, you know, problems getting uh, access and spending time with his kid. Uh, and now he's at 16 or 17 years. And if, if he doesn't make it through this program, he's going to get drummed out of the service, right? You know, there's no grandfathering. There's no 20 years. We're not going to carry you to retirement. So, you know, he, he's looking at losing everything. And he's really getting emotional while he's telling this story. And I'm, I'm looking over his shoulder and I'm watching what Rain is doing. And while he's telling this story to me, and I, I know she... Maybe she can hear him, maybe she can't, but she pulls her head back into the, into the round pen. She turns around and, and I can see that she's looking at him. She's paying attention. Her ears, her ears are pointed our way. Her eyes are pointed our way. And she starts slowly walking toward us while he's talking to me. And as she does, she comes up and, you know, the two of us are in each other's space, right? But we're not, uh, we're not too far away, but we're not too close. She walks up and she comes right between the two of us, just like that. And she stops and puts her shoulder right in front of, of his chest. And he leans forward and puts his hands over her back and he keeps talking. And the whole time, you know, Rain is just standing there listening, watching all of this happen. And he tells this story and he goes out and you know, he really gets emotional. Um, and uh, so we're in there about 15 or 20 minutes and we turn to leave. And as we turn to leave to walk back toward the gate, Rain walks with us and stays right on his shoulder all the way to the gate. And when he tries to step out, she bends her head around a little bit and catches him by the shoulder as if to say, no, I don't think I want you to leave just yet. You, you've still got some more work to do. And, you know, I left him in the round pen for a few minutes with her just to, you know, just to pet her and, and to just sort of relax. Uh, and when he came out, uh, I, you know, sort of debriefing, right? You know, I, how do you feel? How do you think that went? You know, where, what are you feeling now? What are you experiencing? Um, and this guy broke into a smile that was as wide as his, uh, as wide as his face. His eyes were full of tears. And um, I said, what are you feeling now? And he said, hope. For the first time in, in years now, I feel hope. I feel happy. I feel like I can do this. And, uh, you know, that was, that's probably the singularly most uh, moving and emotional experience I've had working with somebody uh, with a horse in the round pen. And when he said that what he felt now was hope, uh, uh, that oh, just man. blew me away. Had just to. blew me away. I had to. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and yeah. you know, it's my understanding that some people equate uh, canine therapy to equestrian therapy, but it's my understanding it's extremely, it's very, very different. It's, it's extremely different yeah. in, in the execution and the practice. Um, I just know if you'd elaborate on that for us. Yeah, sure. Um, the relationship between dogs and humans and horses and humans are very, very different relationships. Um, dogs are pack animals. Uh, horses are herd animals. 
So it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it, it's a big difference. Um, you know, within the herd, there's, uh, there's not just an alpha and everybody else just kind of wanders around. There are different roles and jobs within the herd and they, they trade responsibilities. Everybody steps up. There's, uh, there are sentinels and there are nurturer companions. There are leaders, you know, um, and horses are prey animals. They, you know, they live their lives out here in the wild anyway, um, uh, knowing at any moment they could be the victim of a predator attack. So they've learned to communicate quietly. Uh, dogs bark, dogs whine, uh, dogs run around in circles when they get excited. Horses don't. Horses don't talk when, when they get threatened, right? They, they don't whinny because they, you know, they, they don't want the predator to know where they are or to know that they're there. So they communicate quietly with each other through changes in heart rate, changes in breathing and those sorts of things. Uh, and, and that's what makes the, um, the ability to bond with a horse very, very different because they feel your heart rate. They notice your breathing rate when you're in their space and you know, they'll respond to that. Um, so it's, uh, I, I think, and it, you know, it's just my own uh, impression of it, but, you know, it, as humans, we're used to being sort of the, um, the top of the food chain, you know, the apex predator, right? We, we eat everything and anything we want because we have a, we have a brain and tools and we can do all that. Um, it's not until you're actually a prey animal that it changes your perspective. And a lot of veterans who go through these events in in combat environments and deployed environments for the first time in their life, they, they may not recognize it, but they're actually prey as well as predator. Um, and, and that's what I think gives you the commonality with the horse is, is I, you know, I know what it is to be hunted. I know what it is to be threatened. Um, and in, in a lot of folks, there's a, you know, we all have a switch, right? We're humans, we're wired to connect. Um, but in a lot of folks uh, who experience trauma as kids, uh, it, it, you know, as I've, I've worked with uh, survivors of human trafficking, um, you know, it, once you become prey, the switch is thrown from connection to protection. And you can't unthrow that switch. So you're, you're always looking for that you know, how do I protect myself? How do I keep my guard up? How do I, you know, where's the threat today? Right. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's kind of the way horses go through life. They start with the protection switch and then they look for connection. Um, so it's a, it's a big difference between dogs and horses. And, and horses is, uh, it's more spiritual, really, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And you're doing this still uh, out in Wyoming? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, I've adopted uh, two wild Mustangs from Bureau of Land Management Rescue and uh, starting to work with them and, and want to create my own um, my own coaching herd or, uh, you know, my own my own working herd. Uh, but there are several organizations here around the Laramie area uh, uh, and the Cheyenne area, a huge VA medical center down in Cheyenne uh, that uh, that I can volunteer with and bring the skills and the capabilities to, to their equine programs and, and their horses and their herds to, so, to make it more available to veterans in the area. 
Man, that's awesome. I mean, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I like doing Oscar Mike radio is someone like yourself who went through, you know, years of service, you know, uh, either got injured or had some challenges as a result of service still finds a way post-service to separate from that, but still serve, still be there for the person behind you. It's that no one left behind um, mentality. And, you know, yeah. I have the feeling it's going to be needed more and more. I mean, I'm curious what you think. Is this whole deal in Afghanistan going to lead to a lot of buried and repressed feelings and trauma being brought to the surface? You know, yeah, it's funny you you say that because, um, uh, you know, actually over the last several days, I've been trading notes with a lot of friends of mine um, and, and, really has brought a lot of frustration and aggravation to the surface, right? You know, what, what were we doing? What, you know, what good did we do? What impact did we have? Um, you know, how are we going to stop what's going on now and what's going to happen over the next couple of months in, in Afghanistan? Once the Taliban consolidates control and they really start cleaning up what they, you know, uh, everybody who was, who was against them to begin with, there's, there's going to be retribution. We know that. Um, so it's, you know, to me, the, the parallel to Vietnam, a lot of people are drawing that right. You know, last helicopters out of Saigon, all those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, it, it makes me wonder because we hear about 22 a day, you know, 22 veterans a day on average are taking their own lives dealing with PTS, but the largest number of veterans who are taking their own lives are from the Vietnam era. It's not the young kids today. It's not the ones who are coming back. It's the ones that have been living with it for a few decades now. So, you know, are we looking at, um, you know, is this going to impact on Vietnam veterans? Are we going to see a spike in, um, uh, in suicides in, in Vietnam veterans taking their own lives? Or are we going to see in 30 years or 40 years a spike of Afghanistan veterans who have just, you know, not been able to, uh, not been able to deal with it anymore, become a spike in taking their own lives in, in 30 or 40 years. I mean, this, this is a multi-generational impact issue. And I, I just don't think, I don't think the politicians, the, the executives who run things like the VA, and even the generals and admirals who, who are at the Pentagon now really appreciate what, what's going to happen. I, th I think you're right. And, and no one knows what's going to happen. What I'm hoping happens this time versus Vietnam is that there's enough, for lack of a better term, early detection, their warning systems in place to raise yeah. issues sooner, that when someone is going through a hard time, both um, family members who are civilians and those military buddies can understand those symptoms and either reach out for help or point them to help or get them the help they need. There, there shouldn't be an excuse this time as to why someone doesn't get help unless they absolutely do not want it. So uh, yeah. that's what I'm hoping happens differently. But I just think it's um, the reason I like talking to people who do what you do and serve in the way you serve. It's, it's so very different um, from other types of therapy because it's very hands-on. The horse doesn't yeah. judge you. Uh, it's one thing that I've noticed. The horses really don't, you know, well, you know, you're, 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 you're this way or that way. You're coming with this baggage. I'm not going to deal with you. The horse will 
it seems like Rob will kind of meet you where you are and then yeah. work from there. It's really, really, when you, when you get, when you see it and experience it, it really changes you. It seems like. Yeah. We, one of the things we work with is, is helping somebody identify their authentic self um, because you can't bullshit a horse. If, if you, you can walk in there, sorry, you know, you, uh, yeah. you can walk in there, <laughs> you can walk in there and smile and act like everything's fine, but the horse will sense what's going on inside of you. He'll know you're being dishonest. He'll know you're, he's not going to bond with you and he's not going to pay attention to you. He'll walk away and, uh, you know, it, the grass is more interesting than you are and, and he'll let you know that. Um, so yeah, it's a very valid point you, you bring up. You, and that's, I think, tying back to what you said just a few minutes ago as well. One of the big things I try to work with in coaching, with, especially with veterans, is, um, is not necessarily changing, but noticing, right? Just, you know, before we get into the round pen, before we start working with the horse, I, I want to work you through some exercises and experiences where you notice what's going on in your body so that you can notice what's going on in the horse's body and carry that with you when you leave so that you can notice what's going on in the people around you. You know, it's, it's uh, sometimes people are reaching out for help. We just don't notice it Yeah, Absolutely. because our senses aren't as sharp as a, as a horse's senses are as a, as a prey animal, right? We're, we're not heightened and sensitized that way. So that's one of the things I, I like to be able to carry, carry away from, from working with folks. Well, I would encourage anyone, you know, watching this show or, you know, listening or, you know, if you can't meet Robert in Wyoming, check out the equestrian therapy places in your area to see what it's all about. Maybe you'll get inspired and be past certified like Robert is. It's a very, very arduous process. It's not easy, but um, understand what these wonderful animals can do for us. Would, would you encourage yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you bring that up, path. Um, Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. Um, look at that website, pathinternational.org, uh, pathintl.org, and they'll help you find uh, an equine center that focuses on veterans programs, uh, trauma programs, uh, it, just anything and everything. I, I've, I've worked with, uh, as a volunteer in some organizations that work with kids with special needs, physical and, and mental development issues. And, um, you know, just, just watching the, uh, watching the kids, uh, you know, really light up when they're, when they're on the, on the back of a horse and, and start dealing with things that way. Um, it, it's just a, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Well, speaking of horses, I might be riding my iron horse out there, um, in 2022 right. to Wyoming to see Brian would love to, to, to meet you and see you in action and, you know, yep. I'm sure Brian's found every Marine in his AO. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, Robert, I just want to say thank you for being flexible to talk with me this weekend. Uh, yeah. You know, I love these kind of stories. And I think it just, again, the reason why is it's somebody taking action and continuing to serve, uh, even though they've, they've left the service. So thank you. Oh, th uh, thank you for, for giving me an opportunity to, um, kind of geek out on this because this you know uh, I, I really love talking about this uh, if, if anybody starts me talking about horses they they can't stop me and um 
And yeah, you know, any, anybody who hears the program, um, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, um, you know, if they want to reach out through you, uh, to get a hold of me, forward them my way. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to get on the road and, and go to a center, uh, where some veterans are who might want to, who might want to experience some of this. Um, but yeah, anybody's always welcome out here in Wyoming and I got my own iron horse. So when you get here, um, Maybe we'll go out to the Badlands or up to Mount Rushmore and uh, oh, we'll see what's going talking, on up there. Speaking Travis, speaking Travis, uh, Master <laughs> Guns. All right, all right. So just good yeah. stuff. Uh, and, and and thanks. I, I call him Moses for a reason. It's an old nickname. But uh, thank you, Brian, for uh, you know linking uh, Master Gunny and myself up. And just thank you for your time again. And as we say in Oscar Mike yeah. Radio, we are mission in flight. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Travis. Take care.